On today's episode, Josh and I are here to talk about the first weekend recap of the NCAA tournament. We'll catch up on a few things from the association, as well as trivia's here, it's back. And really exciting announcement coming. Be sure to listen. Next. Welcome back, everyone, to the Two Pointers Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Trevor. And four days and 48 basketball games later, we have our final 16 teams of the NCAA tournament. Trevor, how's your bracket going? My bracket looks like Swiss cheese. Uh, when you word it like that, I it does feel like a true marathon. Like I yeah. did not realize, and I had a lot of things going on non NCAA tournament, and I was still found a way to watch. I probably watched forty of the forty eight. I mean, it just it, and that sounds crazy because it's like, oh, you missed eight games. What eight games did you miss? It's like I don't remember. It's all a blur. <laughs> like this whole weekend, I'm just like blah. You know, the first weekend's uh, always insane when you put it yeah. into perspective, especially because like the first two days is thirty two. Like it's thirty two games mm-hmm. in the first two days, and then like you think, okay, second round will be easier. Second round's really not because it's eight one day, and it's just back to back to back to back to back, and it's eight the next day. You just it's sixteen two days. So it's- Being used to the normal NFL slate where it's you know one to you know technically. 11 p.m. if you count the 8 to 11 game there as the game at night. Um, not too unfamiliar with the 12 to 2 to whatever. Obviously, we're more familiar with the pattern of the first weekend, but just I actually kind of enjoy round two a little bit more now just because I'm like, cool, I can put my entire focus into UNC mm-hmm. Baylor, which we'll talk about here very shortly. Um, I will say it's a little tough where if a game becomes a blowout, there's not another one on. So it's That is true. In the second which, weekend. Which I don't uh, think happened, but like once. I don't think that. I mean, I think the Miami game maybe was kind of like the one where it was weird. Uh, before we get any further, though, uh, let's get the cool announcement out of the way uh, because this episode is really hilarious because we're talking about NCAA tournament and these college guys, and we're talking about the association briefly since the playoffs are so close. Uh, but we're going to tie those together. Um, and our first sense of writing is going to be uh, live in public whenever this uh, episode goes up on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, our 2022 top 14 NBA prospects list will be live. You guys will get to read those, share your thoughts on social media, tortoise alive, whatever you want to do, react to them. We want to hear your feedback. So uh, don't forget to check those out. Uh, the link will be in the bottom of this episode as well as all of our social media. We'll make sure people are aware. Uh, but super excited to bring some written content uh, to our website, some things that you guys aren't able uh, to normally hear from us. Uh, obviously, our draft thoughts. We're three months away from it. Like, Can you believe that? We're three months from the NBA draft. It just yeah, doesn't Yeah, I mean, I can, I can believe that. <laughs> That's three months. It's, one of those, it's my favorite event of the year, so it's all surreal to me. But... Um, yeah, so draft thoughts, I written like it thoughts. most NBA-wise outside of uh, the playoffs. Playoffs is obviously what we're, like I said, we're on cruise control here. We'll talk about the NBA in a few moments. but Although being a Hornets fan, I've been more involved in the draft more often than I've been yeah. involved in the playoffs. So. Should be anyway. <laughs> Even if they get a you know late lottery or, or outside lottery pick, it's a, it's a big deal. You never know what kind of guy is going to change the fate of your franchise, you know? Um, I, yeah, again, super excited. Please definitely check those out on the website, uh, www.thetwopointerspodcast.com. Let is, let's roll right into some tournament recap. I'll throw it to you to give me your biggest, whatever is just burning your mind right now that you just are ready to talk about. Obviously we've got a small amount of time to cover 48 games. So where are we? What's the biggest thing on Josh's mind right now when it comes to the first weekend? All right. You want to get it out of the way? Yeah, Let's I talk do, about what happened on Saturday in that noon game between UNC and Baylor. Let's. Wow. Um, so it's hard to kind of put together whether or not that was the best game in the tournament thus far or the worst game. I think it could be basically both. It was kind of a tale of two blowouts, right? The first 30 minutes of the game was a blowout by UNC against Baylor, jumping up to a 25-point lead with 10 minutes to go. And then after a a call by a referee that resulted in a 
player named Brady Manick being ejected from the game. Brady Manick, who was had scored 26 points on 8 of 12 from the field shooting. Baylor then outscored UNC by 25 the, the rest of the way in 10 minutes for a game that went to overtime. Yeah, I think there's there's so many things about this game that are hard to put into words. Um, shout out to Baylor because, I mean, that team never said die throughout that game. Like most squads um, would have given up long before they did, um, regardless of what anyone thinks about how the game was officiated. And if you were following our Twitter during that game, you know exactly how what I thought about how that game was officiated. Baylor played really hard, and they were clearly a very good basketball team, even without two of their starters. Yeah, this team, my takeaway from this game, regardless of the officiating, which we can we don't have to spend 30 minutes on officiating, but it's it's a clear-cut conversation that people are having this weekend. We can be different. Um, but, but we also can address it. it it's it's it was horrid. And it's not going to shadow, it's not going to create this black cloud over the weekend, don't get me wrong. But my initial takeaway from not just the game, especially against Carolina, but the week, even Baylor's game before that, I mean, can you imagine what this Baylor team could have done this year in a, in a very upset-heavy year? Obviously, they still would have had to beat Carolina, that's not what I'm saying. But if Baylor's fully healthy, and they have their center in Jonathan, you were talking about, uh, Chumukawuka, by the way, which, by the way, you said his name wrong, too. I, I heard it the weekend, and we both said it wrong. I sat back and I was like, okay, I heard the analysts like get it right and go through it. One of Baylor's guys like had like tweeted at somebody and got it right. So that dude's name, by the way, completely harder than we thought it was. So whoever, right? Their center that's out. But uh I mean, he would have been a difference maker against a guy like Baycott. Um even bigger would have been because uh, Baycott had his struggles, would have been bigger was LJ Cryer. Yeah. Uh, was one of their top scores without him. They, they it's where they struggled was getting the ball in the basket. Outside of Aaron Flagler, Baylor just really wasn't doing that. Um, I think that's what killed them more. Uh, they did a good job at going after Armando Baycott, for sure. The at I will say, lack of foul calls helped with them going after Armando Baycott. I will say this game was weird entirely. Like, it's one of those games that you – like, box scores don't tell a story, but I'll tell you they told a pretty weird story for this one. Obviously, Carolina was up 25. First of all, I just want to say that we were aligned with Joe Lenardi and we were right. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. The biased fan and the non-biased fan both agreed that Carolina would beat Baylor <laughs> for whatever the reasons were. And then we the the morning that the episode's going up, Joe Lenardi's like, I have Carolina going to the elite. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it just felt so surreal. Um, mm-hmm. But the tale of this, then I bring up the stats for a reason, is like you look at a game and you go, oh, 93-86 and over time, it sounds like Carolina won that game, it was a close game, whatever. If you knew nothing about that game, if you look, they were twenty five. They had, Baylor had to equate the largest comeback in NCAA history, win or not, to get that game to overtime. Um, but no, Baylor shot thirty four percent from the field, and then they lost the battle uh, on the free throw line. Uh, Carolina made uh, multiple more. It looks like yeah, they made multiple five more, more. free throws. <laughs> Multiple more English, right? I'm reading and talking at the same time. Uh, five more free throws. Uh, they made two more threes. They made the same amount of shots, but Baylor shot 34% from the field. Carolina shot 49% from the field. Uh, they got out-rebounded defensively 37-22. to 22. They got offensive. Carolina, for the first time ever. Against that rebounding is interesting because UNC was not significantly bigger than Baylor. Not even. Uh, they were actually smaller. Because Armando yeah. Baycott's the only true big man playing for North Carolina while Baylor had Flo Thamba and Jeremy Sohan. Well, so historically, historically Carolina loses games that they get out-rebounded offensively, and they, they were out-rebounded They usually by don't six. get out-rebounded offensively. It's the, one of the That's the point. Around. When they do, they normally lose these games, and they've got out-rebounded offensively by six, but they were still able to win that battle. Uh, Twenty, they moved, The guard, guard, guard joke I made, by the way, the, those shots, shots, shots went in, in, in. Like, I'm going to make that joke again. <laughs> they had 22 assists on those shots. Baylor had 11. Uh, and then the steals and the blocks thing were pretty close. Uh, the difference, too, Carolina had 21 turnovers. Obviously, that contributes to the collapse of 25 points. But, like, you, you win a game. It, you you got to feel good anytime you win a game. And I bring it up for the whole point of, like, this game statistically looks terrible for both sides. Like Carolina won the things they needed to, but my goodness, like you can win these games even if you have 21 turnovers. Like Carolina's going to beat UCLA probably convincingly, and I'm going to feel good about it because they can win those battles that UCLA can't. So I think it, this game is a telltale sign for a lot of reasons. 
Yeah, so this kind of moves into the next topic that we're going to get into. And I do want to talk about officiating because I'm not just going to talk about the UNC Baylor game. Because there were a lot of issues in the second round, officiating-wise. A lot. Um, there were a lot. For If you're North Carolina and it seems to be the approach they're taking, they're, you're just going to throw away the last 10 minutes of the second half. Um, it was well-documented by several analysts around the league on Twitter at the time and articles afterwards. The big issue that happened was, surprisingly, the big issue that happened was not the flagrant two foul on Brady Manning. That was not the big issue. Whether you agree whether it was a flagrant one, flagrant two or not, it's a judgment call. I didn't think it was. I think it's a bit too big of an impact to make in a game like this to eject the best player who's having a day. A bit of a huge impact to make on a game, Uh, especially in the NCAA tournament. But the big issue is that the referees completely changed the way that they were calling the game midway through the second half. Um, The referees were blowing their whistles a lot through most of the game, calling two-hand check fouls, which um, for anyone unfamiliar, two-hand check foul in the college basketball rulebook, a defensive player cannot put two hands on an offensive player at one time. Um, any point, or that's a reaching foul. They stopped calling two hand check fouls when Baylor started pressing after the man ejection. This was talked by, I mean, this was what all the analysts talked about, basically. The officials just didn't know how they were going to call that, so they just didn't call any fouls. And that's the big reason UNC turned the ball over and over, over and over again, is because they were getting fouled every time they inbound the ball. It's just foul, 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 foul. And it just wasn't getting called. And that's what made like this ugly game beyond UNC Baylor. You look at because UNC managed to survive despite some bad officiating calls. Unfortunately for Illinois and TCU, they did not. Illinois was hit with a very questionable technical foul for a player pulling up on a rim, which is just a stupid rule to begin with. Like I understand some excess, like wanting to officiate taunting, but like, the split-second decision of a player pulling up on basketball rim just doesn't make sense to me. I want to comment on this one first really quick because what people don't understand, and Richard Jefferson made a big point about this because he is a really outspoken analyst or whatever word you want to call him, Richard Jefferson at this point in his career professionally. But he made it very clear like that was a terrible call because Illinois wasn't even the worst one. Like it was there's nobody in his landing zone they call it like the landing zone is what you're worried about he swung back because obviously if he lets go with his head up under the backboard like he's gonna have a concussion like that's that's the obvious point here there was another moment i don't think it was tcu but there was another one where a guy had to reach back and he had to let go because he he had i guess didn't want to get the tech call or whatever and he landed and fell on another player and his landing zone was was interrupted so my point is is let them swing back there's a difference if you swing two or three more times and you look like Shaq in 92 like yeah. that, there's a big difference right but you have to understand the, the the problem with the landing zone like the landing zone has to be like it's the Kawhi Leonard thing Kawhi Leonard's landing zone he rolled his ankle in the 2019 like playoffs you have to respect that like that's and the, the other issue is like you're asking these kids to very quickly make a read on whether or not they can land safely. You can't look um, down that fast. No way. Yeah, like you got to no let way. them hold on long enough to even make the read whether they can land safely. I just don't think – like it's just one of those – I think what you said, like you have the uh, shack swinging back and forth for a while on the rim, which if you do that, you kind of are at a detriment for yourself because you're not getting back on defense anyway. Chris Webber Like that too. can be a taunt. But- but, like, otherwise, just let it go. And I think that really derailed Illinois um, at that point mm-hmm. in the game. Who I really it feel did. bad for was TCU. TCU had Arizona beat. Ball in their hands with the game tied. Clock running down. And their point guard gets tackled practically at midcourt. No call. Um, which there's a no call on it, which doesn't make any sense because it's either a foul or it's a backcourt violation. And neither was called. TCU should have been given free throws, likely would have made one and would have won the game and Arizona would be out of this tournament. Officiating was not at its best this weekend. So the podcast host to me is going to ask you this. So if that was the worst of the weekend, what was the best of the weekend? Who, who was a winner of the weekend if that was a loser? 
Are you trying to get me to name a referee that was good at officiating this weekend? No, no. I want, I want, <laughs> that was my smooth, smooth transition away from the fact that I just don't want to tear them to shreds any more than I should. I don't have any more comments on the fact that the officiating was terrible. I hope that the people that were on those uh, officiating crews are handled accordingly. And they won't be, but I hope they are. And I hope they don't have another game in this tournament. But that's that's where I'm the, gonna be. I don't wanna I'm not gonna advocate for anybody not to get to work in the tournament afterwards, but like NCAA just has to address like getting calls right. Like not they addressed the TCU one in a press conference today yeah. or the press release the next day. So that one was at least the one that came to the forefront. But I don't know of any others that I'm still waiting on them to address the UNC and Illinois games. But, you know, probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, considering that the UNC one was the one that got probably the most like traction and attention at the time. So on a more positive yeah, note. So that's why I winner it. of the weekend. <laughs> winner of the weekend for you. The winner of the weekend is the Atlantic Coast Conference. Yeah, there the it is. week conference that ha- was right. having a down year isn't good. Well, the Atlantic Coast Conference is tied with the Big Twelve for most teams in the Sweet Sixteen at three. Are we going on a limb and saying the Big Ten is officially fraudulent? I don't know about the Big Ten. The SEC is fraudulent. <laughs> well, okay, but like the SEC this year wasn't built for the style of tournament. Like they're not built. They're fast teams that can't play defense at a high rate. There's not a lot of the SEC teams that were good enough. Obviously, what do you mean not built for this style of ter- basketball? Well, the, this team, this tournament had some of the most defensive stout teams I've seen in a long time, and the SEC teams just want to like outrun you and outscore oh, you. So they weren't. And they never had to play anyone that knew how to play defense. Prepared, they, prepared they yeah, yeah. We prepared for this. When I say style, when I say this style mm-hmm. tournament, I mean like this is seriously like in the terms of the. I told you last week, like the most. This was the most teams above the average. Or the above the median Ken Palm in defensive rating mm-hmm. in any NCAA tournament in history. Like you're talking about, it seems like San Diego State, TCU, Houston, Illinois. I'm forgetting one. Uh, Texas Tech, Kansas. These are all BYU, or not BYU, <laughs> Baylor. Uh, these are all teams that are way above the average in Ken Palm for defensive rating, and they're all in this tournament. Like that's what I mean. Is like the SEC wasn't built for this. Tennessee was the only team that I thought could have been maybe one that could have got it done because they have two traditional style bigs, and obviously we. Know how that turned out. So, uh, and they lost to a mid-pack team from the Big Ten. Yeah, uh, Michigan of all people who we were joking about. Or I was torching. You were joking about. I I picked them to win their first round game. Seventeen fourteen. I'd look. No one picked them to make it a bunch further. I feel like. Um, yeah, they felt like it's the they're the team every year that doesn't deserve to make the tournament that makes a run. Uh, I'll give you since we did win. Yeah, loser, the SEC is fraudulent. The ACC was always good, and the media basically painted them as wrong. I feel bad for Wake Forest, who, in hindsight, how good the ACC actually is, should have been in this tournament. I'll give you a loser only because of the draw that they had. Um, a loser for me is St. Mary's because UCLA just made them look silly. You know, they beat them seventy-two to fifty-six, which is people one of the best defensive teams in this country, and uh, they just weren't able to stop UCLA in any form. I got a team who obviously I'm very high on, but I'm still not like think I, I still was honest about the fact that St. Mary's is a good defensive team. Um, winner for me on the other side of that, obviously St. Mary's, that's disappointing. I, I think Miami has to be a big winner for this. Like obviously you mentioned the ACC, I'm going to give Miami some specific love. And the fact that they took care of Auburn pretty convincingly, because Auburn talking about like the Baylor never gave up. I'm glad you said that because I was going to bring it up eventually. Auburn, there is literally a clip when J.D. Davidson gets driven by and a guy goes up and he makes a layup around two guys, whatever. And you can see him like there's five minutes left. They're only down 10. And he his head just like drops. Mm. And, like their morale was dead for like the last six minutes in that game. And Auburn just I should have known that and I shouldn't have picked them that far. Um, you know what that is? Yeah, it's the difference between a team led by experienced seniors like Baylor and a team mm-hmm. led by a freshman in Jabari Smith and a sophomore in Walker Kessler. I was going to say it's the difference between Scott Drew and 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 uh, Bruce Pearl. That too. <laughs> that, but it comes to the big thing yeah. that I harp on: championships are won by experienced teams. Um, well, so funny you say that. <laughs> because there are a lot of them left, and like yep. that's where we are, right? That we we see that coming. The St. Peter's thing. Let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Like they deserve every bit of our praise let's for go, the next Peacocks. twenty minutes. They deserve every bit of our praise for the next twenty minutes. And all my thoughts on it are their coach is going to get a hire. I don't know where. 
unless he just wants to continue to build something in the in the uh, Mac or the MAAC, whatever you want to say. Um, I also have to address the fact that Iona. I said this to you uh, while we were hanging out watching tournament games on Friday. Iona should have got an at large bid if St. Peter's is going to be this good. And they were a good team and a really good Mac. And we underrated the Mac, I think, a lot. I think a lot of people did. St. Peter's was very competitive in major conference. Yeah. I mean, it's just that conference was insane. They like, beat each other up. They just it was bloodbath. Um, but no, seriously, I don't. I think deserves an at-large bid. Shout out to Jim. Um, but let me address the fact that you mentioned there's some experienced teams left. Uh, where are you with the fact that you have? Let's say, all right, I'm going to throw a couple at you. We're going to just rapid fire these. Like we're not going to go through and break these down like we did for the last week. But you have a lot of experienced teams left, and a lot of them playing each other. I'm going to rapid fire a couple that I'm curious on your thoughts. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, but Villanova, Michigan, you still have Villanova, I'm assuming, advancing. Oh, yeah. Okay. The end of the road for the Wolverines. Uh, I have a feeling I have you beating you thinking Houston's going to win because the Arizona's not experienced, even though they've looked really good. Um, Houston's a better that test. Tough. That could go either way. Um, who did I have winning that before? Houston. Oh, I did? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that one could go either way still. The one I'm really curious about is Texas Tech and Duke, because this Duke team looks really good. Let's just be honest; like we we have to we have to be honest about them. Like they look motivated; like they look like they can win the national championship. And I'm this Texas they, Tech team is a bad draw. They definitely found their grit. They knuckled down and ground out a win against Michigan State. They almost did not get. Mm-hmm. Very nearly did not get. Um, We're also, uh, I'm not picking this Duke team to go far. It's too much inexperience. Uh, I'm also, I think if you're talking about just more fun, obviously Duke and Zachary match would be hilariously awesome, but <laughs> also Texas. But in terms of like, Very interesting, you, yeah. you really want to make things weird, you, you have Texas Tech play Gonzaga because I think Texas Tech is a great matchup for them. Very um, much like the St. Mary's team that beat Gonzaga is Texas Tech. Uh, lastly, the Kansas Providence game because, and I say because, because we were not high on Providence all year. We called them the luckiest team. They statistically were. They're playing Kansas, who's experienced, whether it's transfers or not. It's a lot of guys that didn't play together up until this year. We get it, right? But that's still experience in this tournament. Providence can absolutely beat Kansas. Let's not get it twisted. Do they beat Kansas? So Providence's two wins in this tournament are the South Dakota State Jackrabbits and the Richmond Spiders. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> They've beaten okay. 13 and 12. So are they lucky? Are they lucky, Josh? <laughs> they are, but <laughs> to quote whoever said it first, better to be lucky than good, right? So is that a Kansas upset pick? Is that what we're hearing? Do, are, you saying, am I, are you asking if I think Kansas is going to get upset? Yeah, I mean, no. this Providence team is lucky. <laughs> are they lucky enough no. to win this game? No? All right. The luck ends. Uh, anything else? I mean, I haven't addressed UCLA a ton. Obviously, I think it's tough that I, I hate to break you down and, and say that I think UCLA is going to win that game convincingly, but they aren't. I think the game's going to be good. I think Carolina, though, showed me things in the Baylor game that make me go, oh, crap, UCLA doesn't have what they need uh, come this weekend. Well, I think what one thing that like is – chaotic as that game was on Saturday between UNC and Baylor, it honestly puts the UNC team in a very good spot, like motivation-wise heading to Sweet 16, because they just knocked off the number one seed, and all everyone wants to talk about is how they blew a 25 – they choked away a 25-point lead. That's all the media wants to talk about. I mean – That's that's all it is. Like, that's the whole thing covered for that game. That's a massive chip on the shoulder of this UNC team. And what's even better – Brady Manick just rested for most of the second half. Yeah. Well, the I want to read thing. what um, Brady Manick's stat line looks like from the weekend. Because if we're going to pick one player who had the who was the breakout star the first weekend, it was Brady Manick. And that's not me being biased. Over two games, Manick scored 54 points. He was 9 for 10 from inside the arc. So from two, nine for 18, shooting 50% from outside, nine for 11 from the free throw line, had 16 rebounds, five assists, only turned the ball over two times, two blocks. His true shooting percentage was 82.2%. And his effective field goal percentage was 80.4%. 
It's insane. It's, Literally, it's, like well, the joke that was going around, I think, was didn't expect to see uh, Brady Manic transform into Larry Bird in real time today, but. <laughs> Here but he's are. shown those flashes, like it's the ACC thing. Like he's shown those lost. flashes, but it's just like he completely—I don't know if I've seen him take over like that. He just became unstoppable, except by a flagrant two. But I am excited to see the Juzang and Leaky Black thing that you threw at me because it's like, well, who are you going to put on this guy? Leaky Black, great. I'm excited to see that. But like this UCLA team has a lot of great pieces. Can they get it done? I'm hesitant to say they can, but I am going to continue to ride the Bruins because I think that they are. The X factor for UCLA is Jaime Hawkins. Absolutely. It was before, and it most definitely is now with with the the question of his ankle injury. The thing that people are underrating, though, is that this is UNC's hardest test now because of the fact that I don't believe in Purdue. If St. Mary's, God forbid, they beat Purdue, then you're going to play UCLA and then you're going to play St. Peter's. Sorry. St. Peter's on the other end. But – my thing is, is, like we predicted the Baylor thing. I was fully confident that was going to happen. I still think in this side of the bracket, I said it out loud on Selection Sunday when I'm reacting to the brackets. I'm like, Carolina's hardest matchup is going to be UCLA if they play them. I fully believe that. So it's not a disrespect to Baylor. Baylor's just not in the right place for this. And it, I still think that UCLA is a harder matchup for Carolina. And I'm excited a, to see how that turns out. It's definitely a weird one because UCLA doesn't play a big man. Like at all, like they just don't play a big man. Um, they they play situational basketball really well, yeah. though. They have a big man that they can play, but they do it when they need it to. The problem is Baycott's going to be out there for forty two minutes. <laughs> like, I mean, he's going to the, be out there for whatever well, thirty nine. Like minutes. he may not be out there for all forty minutes if UCLA doesn't play a big man. Like there's no there's no one that he has to defend the paint against. <laughs> well, I'll just say that. I mean, look, I'm, well, we spend a lot of time on Carolina, but I'll say this. Uh, they if they're gonna win, they need Bacon on the floor for a long time. Like they need to be able to take advantage of that. And oh, they will win that matchup. Um, Hawkes is the so end of the point of why Hawkes is the X factor for UCLA. Had an ankle injury against St. Mary's. It seems like the prognosis is very optimistic. He's probably gonna play. Mick Cronin said if he can walk, he's gonna play um, in this game. The reason he's the X factor is because. All respect to Johnny Juzang when I say this, Leaky Black is going to make his life a living nightmare. He's not going to have his best game because he will be nose guarded by probably one of the best defenders in this tournament throughout most of the game. Yep. Pac is, it's difficult for UNC to really find a match for because the next point would be to go put Armando Baycott on him, but then Baycott has to try to swing outside. Brady Manick, for as great as he is an offensive basketball player, doesn't show all of the defensive traits to keep up with Tiny Hawkes. Um, two things. Let's end with this. Obviously, you've been in text threads with me jokingly slash not jokingly writing St. Peter's. Um, but do you actually think they can beat Purdue? St. Peter's? Or do you think uh, – let's? I, I'm going to get this out of the way. Do you, are they going to beat Purdue? Yes or no? <laughs> let's just get it out of the way. Yes. That's what people want to hear. I, I, I think so, too. I this think is, they're going to do it just because – <laughs> like far be it for see, me to say the team that I thought was going to get run out of the building by Kentucky that beat them and then beat Murray State is going to far for me to say what they're going to do. Uh, let's where let I am, <laughs> right where I am with it is why can't they? Right, they beat Murray State, one of the best teams in the tournament statistically and record wise. They beat Kentucky and then Purdue. By the way, you and I agreed. Like I'm not I'm not disrespecting Purdue. They made the Sweet Sixteen, but if we get I, against Iowa Purdue, like they're in trouble because St. Peter's has a game plan. They have a defensive strategy. They stick to it. Their head they coach will. Hard defense. They, I mean, they have thirty one hundred students. Their campus. That homework. I'm going to give homework. I haven't done it in a little while. Homework. Google Maps St. Peter's campus. It is hmm. literally a street in Jersey City. It's not a joke. It is literally mm-hmm. a street. Mm-hmm. They are look. They are one of the coolest stories in all of college basketball. Um, and then I want to just give a shout out to the last thing for me. I want to give a shout out to Sleek Sack Attack. Uh, thank you to everybody who played our tournament challenge. Uh, you're still obviously in the running. Some of you are a little further out than others. Um, just like but, you. But, but yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, Sleek Stack Attack, I actually do know him. Uh, shout out to Jeffrey, but uh, he's a big Ohio State guy. What's going to kill him is if somebody else has the Ohio State uh, bracket region. Uh, correct more than him. He has Ohio State making the Final Four in his. 
little bias there. Uh, but shout out to Jeffrey. Well, what's going to uh, hurt him is he uh, have to had out. Kentucky as his national champion. He did, and that's going to so he's going to have to basically get the elite eight right minus but his two max games. points right now is one thousand fifty, which is far below a lot of the other brackets. So, but good luck well, to you. Only, but yeah, yeah, he's only hit ten ahead. Shout out to the guy in second who put his at in there, so we can actually find out who he is <laughs> to get mm. him on the show. Um, Josh is in third uh, or tied for third. And then we got a couple other there. Purdue fans, obviously, a couple of uh, looks like Grayson, my, my fiance, is in sixth in this bracket. Yeah, this bracket is all bad for me. I'm I'm looking forward to revealing these at the end, see how these rankings end up. So, uh, shout out to Jeffrey for being first so far. We'll give you an update each week as we get closer to the end. I'm feeling good. I still got three Final Four teams left. Trevor, I was looking at it today. You only have one. I don't know how you managed to pick three high seeds that got knocked out. Um, in the first weekend, but congratulations. That's really impressive. Bring on the madness, baby. Bring on <laughs> Let the madness. madness reign. So let's transition back to the first time in like three weeks. Let's talk about the National Basketball Association. Uh, like Trevor said, we're going to end up being around the start of playoffs about the time the NCAA tournament concludes. These teams have really two, maybe three weeks remaining of games. For the most part, it looks like the top sixes are kind of locked up. Well, uh, some of the top spots are locked up. You have Phoenix, who somehow has a nine-game lead on the second-place team in the Western Conference with uh, only a few to go. Uh, so shout-out to them for having being way ahead of the rest of the Western Conference. And then on the other end, kind of a much more evenly spaced out East. So we're just going to kind of throw it in and talk about just kind of like things you wanted to bring up. And so, Trevor, I have a question for you, and it's related to a tweet or something I retweeted from our friend Brett Siegel earlier today. And you didn't see his tweet. What Brett said was, should the Lakers lose tonight to the Cavs, which I haven't checked the score. I think they're playing well, so it's not as uh, – they won. So, uh, But we'll still go with this because it still applies. Uh, should the Lakers lose to the Cavs, they will lead the Spurs by just two games for the 10 seed. And since the two teams split their four games of the season, the tiebreaker would go to conference record, which is led by San Antonio by two and a half games. Things are about to get interesting for the Lakers. How do you feel as a Lakers fan? And are the Lakers going to make it to the play-in? And if they get in the play-in, are they going to make the playoffs? So I'm not going to overreact to the fact, yes, they'll make the play-in. Um, the teams that are behind them, obviously, are accidentally winning. Um, one thing that's going to help, obviously, the Spurs have not been playing great lately. They're 28-44 and 44 behind them. The Trailblazers are actively trying to lose, and they're winning games. They but they're still winning the games. The only team that's actively trying to win um, that could take L.A. out of the play-in is San Antonio. Kinda, and then New Orleans, who's playing really well, um, who officially, as of today, is not having Zion back. So a lot of weird storylines we're going to end up meshing in today uh, in a short amount of time. But um, Sacramento just lost tonight, Sabonis, uh, for at least another two weeks uh, with an ankle. Which injury. they're not trying. So, but they're gonna, you're gonna these accidental games when the Lakers lose to like who they lose the Raptors the other night, right? And they beat the Raptors and then they lose to them back to back. Like you, they can't do that anymore, right? They have to win <laughs> both those. The Kings have to lose those, and the Kings are going to accidentally win games. Like it, it, my point is, is you've got teams behind them that are accidentally winning games because from 12 down, they don't want to win. Well, but you have less to worry about the Kings. They are six and a half back. Right? I have everything to worry about of every team from 11 to four, like 13. I have everything to worry about. Well, I mean, because you don't much have to worry because there's only 10 games left and they're six and a half back. It's a pretty – the Lakers would have to just like, you know, lose the remainder of the games in the season. Which is not out of question. No, I'm completely. just being honest. I'm just being honest. Like that's why you're like, well, what about? They're going to make the plan. It's going to be very, very uncomfortably close. Um, yeah, because I, they may make it and be maybe hosting the Pelicans. But then if you you win that host one, and you might end up being off to, well, playing basically another home game in Crypto.com Arena against the Clippers is what it looks like. It'll probably come down to. Right. So, and I'm glad you brought this up because we're basically just end up spending the the same amount of time on, on 
two different styles of the same question um, is I wanted to look at just playoff matchups in the East and the West is kind of weird and doesn't really matter until the play in tournament anyway, right now, because of that weird six, seven, um, it will matter because of Minnesota and Denver. And I'll just ask that now is like, you know, Denver lately, I think one Jokic has lost his MVP case. Um, by the way, to answer your question, yes, the Lakers are going to make a play. And obviously I know what you were doing there. Jokic has lost fall his into MVP it. case. Um, losing it actively to, uh, Joel Embiid, even though they're both lately going to slip a couple of games, uh, but the Denver Nuggets have been not been able to take care of business lately. But I did not realize until this morning when we started making sure we were on the same page about the NBA today to talk about it. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves are right now outside the play-in in the playoffs. They are they succeed. I called that. I said the All Star game. I said there's going to be a team that's going to get their stuff together. They're going to kick some butt and they're going to make the playoffs or convince them to make the play-in and win those games. And it is the Timberwolves. I, I look obviously Cat scored sixty, right? They, those things mm-hmm. are going to happen. But Edwards has been unbelievably consistent. Love him or hate him, Pat Beverly has been an anchor for their defense. D'Angelo Russell hasn't made many mistakes, even though he's a point guard that makes a lot of mistakes normally. He's um, averaging he's, seven point two assists per game. Just put a little more respect on that name for no, no, that's, no. That's what I'm saying. He's been making incredible. he's been making less mistakes than he normally does because um, he's normally a very mistake heavy, high turnover point guard. Um, he's been really, really good. He doesn't. Ha- they haven't asked him to be. Is the point? Um, I think it's really interesting, though. Like you're talking about the Memphis, Golden State, Phoenix. Like Phoenix is so far ahead of everybody. Got it. Whoever doesn't matter who they play right now. But the current right now would be Memphis, Denver. Now, obviously, that would meaning you know, obviously, I'm throwing the play on this play in the side for a second. Yeah. Memphis would technically play Denver right now. And if I'm Memphis, I'm nervous for that. Like I don't whether they're sliding or not. That's a tough. That's a tough draw, right? We're just hypotheticals here. Like some of these matchups, think, like these yeah, are my worst. There's a scenario. lot. Of, there's a lot of what ifs about that Denver one. Like the is Jamal Murray playing? Is did I see something about Michael Porter Jr. potentially trying to make a comeback? They both. They both could be back in the next two. Yeah, weeks. like there's a million question marks for Denver. Um, it doesn't even but matter. That low down, I don't think good. good for them if they're having to play over no. You got to think, too, Golden State and Minnesota would probably not be the worst series in the world. But I think that worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, I think it's, what's even crazier, and this is why these are all hypotheticals and why these are worst case scenario, best case scenario. I just wanted to look at worst case scenario, best case scenario matchups today. Golden State could actually play Dallas. Because Dallas is only one game ahead of Minnesota. Minnesota wins a couple. Dallas loses a couple. They flop spots. I think Golden State, with their current injury luck right now, with Steph and Draymond coming back from a back, et cetera, I think if you draw Dallas there, you're in trouble. Like, Dallas right now is playing unbelievable, and that's not a team you want to draw. You would rather draw a team like Minnesota who has less experience in the playoffs. Golden State's, like, obviously oh, no. way. Dallas just got ran out of the building by a – depleted Hornets roster, so I don't know if Dallas is playing. Doesn't, Dallas is going to lose the game. But no, they play up lose, their just lose. The they got run out of the building by a Hornets roster that's desperately missing Gordon Hayward. They're desperately trying to make the playoffs, too. So I like think trying Minnesota is a much scarier matchup for Golden State than Dallas is. Well, any team that's healthier is obviously going to be a scary mm-hmm. matchup, but I think Dallas logistically can match them. Um, either way, too, because Utah's only two up of there. Obviously, Utah can slip a little bit, but they're also closer to Golden State than they are to Dallas. Talk about so, a nightmare scenario, scenario if Golden State somehow to have to play Utah in the first round. That's a nightmare. Yeah, no, that, it, that's, that would be tough. That one, I'm think, giving it to Utah. I think right now the problem that we're going to be having with that conversation is that Golden State could actually technically be the four in this scenario, and either way could play Dallas. Because mm-hmm. what what could happen right now with Steph being out, for people don't know, obviously, uh, had a ligament sprain that is not structurally damaged, which is very good. Uh, prayers up to Steph for that. Um, but they're three right now, 47-24. Utah is four, 45-26. So, I mean, those two flop easily right now. And even Dallas makes a huge push here. If Golden State loses six out of the next ten, which is totally plausible, like all Dallas has to do is win four out of the next ten. And then they're tied for third. You, like, you see the carousel that I'm referring to? This is what I'm glad you brought up the West first because I was going to bring up the East because I think the East is way more fun. But the West is super weird from three to 10 right now. And the Lakers obviously being the 10 right now. Uh, but if you're Anthony Davis and LeBron, and I'm going to do the puncher's chance thing for a second because we went off the Lakers and came back to them. Like, no matter what, in a West playoffs like this, that's why the play in is set up the way it is. You ultimately have a puncher's chance. You have to play LeBron James and Anthony Davis together. 
God forbid they're obviously healthy. Is he anywhere where he's going to play? Has he played I don't recently? know, and that's I don't know, and that's the point. If he's there, there's always a puncher's chance. That's they could have beaten Phoenix last year. We all know that, right? The two seven, they could have beaten Phoenix in a puncher's chance. Anthony day to day Davis wasn't healthy, so the whole point is is the Pelicans. I'm not worried about the Clippers I, right now. The Clippers are literally the Trailblazers light. Because they don't have Paul George and they don't have Kawhi Leonard back, it's just a bunch of Trailblazers guys that used to play for them, and, and just they're winning games. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, Denver, I think, is going to be the biggest. If I had to give you like my recap moment for this conversation on the West, is the Denver is going to be the biggest weird mix up in this in this standing right now because I think if they can somehow find a way to win these games that they've been losing, I mean, Grayson's been texting me all week like keeping me updated on the Nuggets because I haven't had a chance to watch many Nuggets games with all the NCAA tournament stuff, and they're losing these games in the fourth quarter. Like, they're winning these games one through three quarters and then just not being able to get it done. So when I say losing his MVP case, like, he's they're not he's not going to win MVP if they're seventh, Josh. Like, he's going to lose the MVP to the Sixers, who, on the other side, right now are three. If Joel Embiid is continuing his play, he plays three more games and, you know, wins the scoring title, too, and the Sixers are third, like, Jokic is not going to win the MVP, and that's unfortunate. Obviously, at that point, Joel Embiid deserves it. He obviously wants it bad right now. So um, that was my cool transition into the East, where it's a lot more logjam the other direction. The top is more fun than the bottom. I think one thing to pay attention to, though, there with the Phillies in third and Denver's in seventh, their records aren't very different. They're not. At least 43 and 27. Denver's the voters. The voters at that point are going to have yes. to. There's a lot of voters that like still, the re- that they still have care led about their that. teams to very similar records. Oh, 100%. Want to put adversity, adversity aside, too. Like, right, these writers, though, you got to understand, like, they're going to look at record, but they're also going to look at standings and where the guy fell and they've seen the play in. And you got to, like, they're going to think about all that stuff. And it's the fact that you're not going to want to vote a guy twice unless he deserves it. Yada. Like, there's too many narratives at that point where we really don't know who the MVP is. Oh, they just don't want to. They're not going to want to give it back to Jokic. I understand. 100%. So my point I'm being is I'm not making my point that Nikola Jokic has been the best player in the NBA this season. I'll continue to ride that. That's fine. Joel Embiid has been able to do more right now, and that's why the Sixers are winning these games. Obviously, Harden aside recently, he's had to do a lot of things on both ends of the floor, and he's been a top 10 player, top two player, obviously, duh, in the MVP race. My problem is I could care less about the MVP race. My point is, is Jokic has had to do so much, and they're going to look at that and be like, well, you've done so much and similar record, and the MVP last year, they're going to give it to the new guy. Um, I used it as a point to say that like he can't do everything in the fourth quarter. That was my whole point of that. I could care less about the MVP right this, right this moment because we're still another week and a half away where it matters. Last statement, I'll take you a step further. I think that Giannis is more deserving of the MVP again than Embiid. And what it really comes down to is, like you said, the voters aren't going to want to repeat on a guy. But it's no disrespect to Embiid. He's having an incredible season. I just think these other guys have been a little bit better. I would give it this year. I I, I can't do that. This year I would rather give it to Embiid because he's been a top two defensive player and he's been a top two offensive player at that point. Giannis, not that he hasn't, but like he's been out more than – Joel Embiid has. There's enough where this is an MVP conversation. My point being is Philly Philly can't do a lot of things, but what they can do is that when they need to win games, Joel Embiid can do that for them. And right now that's going to matter, and that's why my transition to the East is the fact that Chicago, a lot of people are writing off in the sense of they're getting all their guys back at the right time. Patrick Williams is coming back today, actually. I think it literally happened tonight. Um, they didn't just lose Lonzo. Right, but that's like they're gonna they're getting Caruso back. They're losing Lonzo. They're gonna end up all these guys eventually right here in the end of the play and are gonna come back and it's gonna be good. I don't know how severe Lonzo's injury was. My biggest point for the East is like I said, the top is crazier than the bottom right now because ultimately at the bottom, you just you know that somehow Brooklyn's gonna be the team that's gonna screw the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Right now, the bottom for those that don't know, the seven through ten right now is Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Atlanta. I'm just gonna preface it and say it's Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte. Like, I'm not afraid of Atlanta this year. I'm not afraid of Washington. I'm not afraid of New York. Like, that 11, like, it doesn't matter. Who's out of the play-in this year in the East? It, it literally does not matter. The reason I say that is well, if you're Atlanta's going to be there at 10. And, like, whoever's at 9 still has to beat them. <laughs> like, that's right. They're that's not gonna fine. Really out of it. They're still going to have to win that one-game play. I totally – I don't care who it is. They can beat Atlanta. Atlanta's beatable this year. So, the point I was going to make is if you're Boston right this moment – you want the three seed. 
because you want a scenario where you have to avoid Brooklyn for the longest possible time. Because if you're in the three, right, you would play Cleveland right now. Like if you're Boston right now, who would you rather play? Uh, if you're the head coach, if you're Udoka right now, Josh, would you rather play Cleveland in round one or Toronto in round one? What we know right now. Cleveland or Toronto? Yeah. I'd rather play Toronto. I would rather play Cleveland because at the end of the day, there's playoff and experience. Toronto's at least been there. A lot of those guys are a lot more seasoned mm. players. Not just playoffs, but veterans aside. Also, Pascal Siakam is right now better than any player on the Cavs in terms of who's playing the best right now. The Raptors are really hot, and I don't want to play them. Either way, the question doesn't matter. Because either way, you're Boston. You don't want to play either of them. Because Cleveland has the tools that we've seen can beat Boston. They've won three or four this year against Boston. A different Boston it's time, man. I understand that. But, like, if you're Boston, like, you're – and I'm not riding off the Celtics. They're playing really, really well. What I'm saying is the problem for me is that you want to avoid Brooklyn at all costs. And right now, Brooklyn is the eight. Brooklyn would play Toronto to then ultimately be the person that plays Milwaukee. It's this confusing logjam. Like, ultimately, someone's getting stuck with the Nets. Right now, that's Miami or, or Milwaukee, depending on who, who vies that finish. Yeah, what makes this play even more interesting is that Brooklyn definitely hates that they're the eight and Toronto's the seven. Because Brooklyn is hoping Cleveland drops to seven and Toronto goes to six. Mm-hmm. Because if they have to play their play in Toronto, Toronto has a vaccine mandate and Kyrie Irving can't play. <laughs> if they sure. play it in Cleveland, Cleveland doesn't have a vaccine mandate. Kyrie Irving can play. And I don't think there's a scenario where, then, for the perspective or for the uh, context for the listeners, Brooklyn's 37 and 34, Toronto's 40 and 31. So there's not a scenario, I don't think, especially the way the Raptors are playing, I just don't think there's a scenario where Brooklyn passes them. Brooklyn's the eight. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. I think what's going to make this interesting. Brooklyn's not necessarily the eight. They're only half a game ahead of Charlotte. I you took the words out of my mouth. Come on, man. Let, let me get my point out like so I can lob you. Just let let me let me lob you. Can I lob you the Hornets so you can slam at home? The point for me was that right now Brooklyn is locked in at the eight. However, the next word out of my mouth is however, by the way, for what it's worth. Uh, however, if Charlotte can win seven of their next ten and Brooklyn they won their last five in a row. So. Great. I mean, who cares? Because what you put aside now is there's ten games left to where it really matters. What my point is, is if Charlotte gets ahead of Brooklyn – then there's a scenario where, again, the Kyrie Irving thing, they're going to be on the road regardless. It doesn't matter. They, they, I think the, the point I'm making is I think you want to be at nine. I think Brooklyn needs to be in the nines place. You don't want to be at nine. <laughs> because then you're the team that has you to play in. You don't want to be at nine or ten. I'm going to, I'm going to make this very clear. You do not want if you're to Brooklyn, be not in a no scenario. If you're Kevin Durant and Kyrie You have to play two straight games where if you lose one, you're out it's, to get into the playoffs. There's no, 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 no scenario in which you want that. None. Would you rather have that not with Kyrie Irving? Zero. Would you rather have that with Kyrie Irving on the floor for both those games? Or would you rather have that where – Kyrie Irving's not. Well, if the they floor. drop to the nine, they have to play in Brooklyn without Kyrie Irving. Yeah, that's true. I guess they would be. They would catch Atlanta or Charlotte at that point. They would be right. hosting Atlanta and not have Kyrie, while Charlotte would be going up to Toronto. Okay, so then, mm, yeah, this East is so weird. I love it. Um, okay, so then flip this then. Say Brooklyn comes out. However, let's say Brooklyn or Charlotte come out. However, it is. Right, so then you're you're seven eight or Brooklyn and Charlotte, however, and flips. Who is the worst case scenario matchup for the Sixers right now? Who, by the way, have Harden and Embiid. Like that's that's a big right game. now. Philly's in in third. Third. Who is the worst team the Sixers could end up playing? The worst case scenario for them is if Chicago somehow rallies, passes Boston and Philly, and Philly has to play Boston around one. Okay, that's. I agree with you. Or whatever you want to call it. It's, that's the worst. I agree, I agree with you. The reason Anyone, being is whoever's because... playing Boston in round one is in a bad spot. I, I understand that I ragged on them the whole season post All Star break or slightly pre All Star break, post trade deadline after the Derek White trade. Somehow Boston has completely turned this entire season around because they are the scariest team in the Eastern Conference. I don't even Whether know. Whether I like them. Jason Tatum just looks efficient, finally. 
Jalen Brown is complimenting him perfectly. They look like a monster. They've been like they've just been they haven't been losing for weeks and weeks. This whole time we haven't been talking about what's been going on. They just haven't been losing. That's fine. I'm not high on Boston more than most. But what I will say is I agree with you because of two reasons. One, the two things Philly can't do right now is get back in transition, period. And Boston's going to be a transition team that's going to beat them up if they play like that in a seven-game series. And the second thing Philly can't do right now is defend the three. Also, last matchup between Philly and Boston, February 15th in Philadelphia. Final score, Boston, 135, Philadelphia, 87. Well, okay, for what it's worth, I don't think Embiid played that game. If he did, I don't think Harden. Obviously, Harden didn't either. So Embiid did play that game, 26 minutes. He did. Okay. Um, they probably saw it was a jump ship moment, and they pulled him out yeah. with 26 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's fair. But, again, they do the things that they need to do. They play fast in transition that Philly can't defend, and Philly can't defend the three. If, you're, if this is half-court basketball the entire series, Philly's a better team. So, yeah, Boston, I agree with you, is your worst-case scenario matchup. Um, that and they have him actually one of the few, like, elite rim defenders in the league and Robert Williams. Yeah, he, he deserves some defensive player of the year buzz that he will not get, so this is my praise for him right now. Great rim defender. I don't know. Like, defensive player of the year is like an all-around defensive award, and I don't know if he's there. In a year like this, though, like with Draymond being out of it and Gobert slipping out of it a little bit, like there's this is a year where somebody's going to get a third place vote. It could be him, is my point. This is a year where, like, defensive player of the year, the three guys aren't going to be the three guys we know normally. Um, anything, obviously, we get, haven't given anything to. We've, Miami's the only team we haven't addressed, too, by the way. They're 47 and 24. I don't know if you know this. They're 27 and 24. And the combined total of Lowry, Butler, and Bam have played a total of four games together. Mm. Butler's missed 20. Bam's missed 25. Lowry's missed 19. They are 47 and 24, first in the East by three games. So. Yeah, that's a scary thought for if they come together, but it's also one of those you don't want them to suddenly have to try to put the pieces together once you're in a seven-game series. Agreed. But they are a good team, and that's my point. Is like they've, oh, been able to do, they've been able to do the things they need to do without those guys there. Yes, you don't want to piece together your best lineup, but they've been also able to adapt those lineups better. I mean, they're playing Max Asmus like 26 minutes some of these games, and he's winning these big games for them. Um, my question to end it for you, uh, if you have nothing else on the East, is let's give a – because I think it's worth doing before we know any matchups. Um, we didn't do it a lot last year, and I wish we had of – Obviously, we had Brooklyn and L.A. going into the year. Right now, let's do the Bill Simmons change your pick in March because it, you know you're always changing your thoughts based on what you see in the NBA. Right now, what's your East West Finals? Who's playing? How many minutes per game is? Or is it Max Ace? Not Max Asmus, right? What is his name? Max something. Max Asmus is the guy that was at Oral Roberts. He's still no, at Oral Max, Roberts. He's not Max something. Struess. Thank you, Max okay. Struess. Thank you. Um, I had the max part right. Okay, give me a break. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, I thought for sure Max Asmus played at Oral Roberts again this year. Oh, he did. Um, <laughs> but let's end with this. Right now, you know, gun to your head, you had to make a pick. Who is your finals matchup? Boston and Phoenix. What? You didn't think I was – you didn't get that I was starting to lean there? I mean, I think Phoenix wins like – Oh, I got games, the Phoenix but, part. Yeah. You can skip over. It's next. No, 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 I'm pointing like I think Phoenix will even beat them in like five games. I just think that Phoenix is far ahead the best team in the NBA. I have to hear this then. Like we don't know matchups. I, I get it right, but like give me thirty seconds on why Boston makes the finals. They're the hottest team right now, frankly. Like they've not only are they the hottest team, they've been like hot for four weeks. Like they haven't cooled off. Like I don't know compared to who everyone else has gone cold in the East. Who is doing well? Like, who is on fire in the Eastern Conference right now? Milwaukee. Of these contenders. Milwaukee. Are they? They're 8-2 eight, they're eight and two in their last 10. They're 24-12 and 12 at home. They can win Giannis games on the road. They're 20 injury issues right now, and they got That's fine. They're in the two seed. They're in yeah. the two seed. Minnesota's smacking everybody. I'm not picking Minnesota to come out the West. I look, I'm, I'm, look, I'm here for it. It's, a, it's the most un-Josh pick. I just, that's why mm-hmm. I asked this question. To be clear with you, minus Phoenix and Milwaukee, I think it's a rematch of last year. 
So we're not far off. Kind of. <laughs> Any other thoughts on uh, the NBA before we roll into trivia? No, that's about it. Go Hornets. Keep winning. Yeah, as of uh, yeah. their last I want five the Hornets years. to be the team that like pops up to the seven and drops uh, Milwaukee or Philadelphia as in a shocker. So, I mean, with, with Milwaukee, you know it can happen. So, because they've got several wins over the Bucks this year, um, gonna be a funny. I think if Gordon Hayward comes back for Charlotte, that'll be terrifying for someone. Um, y'all keep playing Pirtle too on the NBA while we're thinking about it. Uh, since we're talking about the NBA, y'all keep playing Pirtle. Send us your uh, scores. Uh, recently, I've had some uh, really awesome ones where I got it in two for the first time. I just have to say, uh, my fiance, I, I asked her, I said, give me an, a random NBA player not named LeBron James. She proceeded to say, <laughs> this is coming out way after this one, so I'm just going to say it. She proceeded to give me Giannis Antetokounmpo, which I'm just going to spoil my strategy. If they're super tall and they're in the right conference, it's pretty easy to get. Like if you get the tall, like you, if you get the if you get the height right on the first try, so, like, if it's a guard and you guess a 6'4 guy and it's within yellow, like, it it's becomes easy to me. But long story short, she gave me Giannis, and it was the day that LaMarcus Aldridge was the person. And I got it in two because I went through the divisions, and this is the point of knowing the divisions without having to Google it, is I went, okay, in the Southeast, there is zero 34-year-old centers in the Southeast. Seriously. Like, the Southeast is all young centers. The Hornets, the Heat, the da-da-da, right? It's all guys that are under 30. There's not really any impactful guys. And I went, hmm, Brooklyn, New York. And I went through and I said, wait a minute. Brooklyn's got the uh, the oldest team. I was like, Brooklyn. And I was like, it's LaMarcus Aldridge, the jersey number, da, da, da. And I got it on the second try, and I was super, super proud of it. Um, so, yeah, y'all keep playing Pirtle. It's been a great day, uh, great game that Josh and I have been playing with our friends. It's been a lot of fun just to – because you can't really talk about it until, like, the day's over, and then you can't really – like, it's just, it's just a great community game. Shout out to Dunktown. Uh, for creating it. All right, on to trivia. So the score after these last two weeks, Trevor's done incredibly well. I mean, he uh, successfully slammed home most of the alley-oop lobs I gave him a couple weeks ago. Um, And he stumped me, all credit to him, on – all-time scores in the Big East Conference. Uh, Marcus Howard was on the list. That's probably the only name I remember from our conversation. To your credit, that list should not have been that hard to get. Like it, mm. it, it was way more difficult than I think I even imagined. The yes. Big East is a great conference since yes. since 1996 or 18. No, sorry, 1986. There was like three guys we recognized off the rip. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my god. Well, look, we had Jim on. I had to give you a Big East question since the Mac was too hard. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, 12 to 10. Let's make this more so, fun. You got a month. Today, there will be um, an opportunity for three points for you. So you could take the lead, potentially. Um, it's a very simple question. It's really just kind of a fun one uh, because I enjoyed seeing the story on it this weekend. So the St. Peter's Peacocks qualify for the NCAA uh, for the Sweet 16 uh, this weekend, which was awesome. They were the third um, ever 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16, along with Florida Gulf Coast and Oral Roberts. Shout out to them. Um, yeah, you thought that was going to be the question. <laughs> no, I did. I wrote them down immediately. From our account. I was not going to give you that as the question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah got it. Are you kidding me? Um, what was also fun is that they are the first team from New Jersey to make it to the Sweet 16 in a long time. Your question is, which was the last university to make the Sweet 16 from New Jersey? What year was it? And name one player from that team. You get a point for each of those to get correct. This was a just a pretty – I feel like this was a pretty widely shared, like, fun fact throughout the weekend of what this was which we'll understand afterwards. But, yeah, who was the last team from New Jersey to make it to the Sweet 16? There's actually surprisingly a lot of colleges in New Jersey, which I didn't realize until I looked them up. You can't look them up, by the way. You just got to do from your knowledge which colleges are in New Jersey. Uh, St. Peter's is one of them. There you go. Freebie. My problem is I think I only know one. (laughs) 
So if it's not this one, I'm in trouble. How is the house? So I get three points, but if I don't get the team um, right, then get, I'm in trouble. I'll give you one guess on the team, um, three guesses on the year, and two guesses on a player from the team. I'm doing that based on how difficult I think these separate things That's are. That's fair. I think Rutgers. you should know who the team is, so you only get one shot. Rutgers. Wrong. It's not Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, this is a wash. I'm in trouble. It I... was the Seton Hall Pirates. I knew they were in New Jersey because I literally saw a TikTok about them today. Hmm. Uh, okay, so I have to name a Seton Hall player. The problem is the year, right? Mm. Yeah, the year is also – you get three guesses on the year. You said it was the first time in a long time. So, like, if I get the year, great. Like, you're right, great. Like, let's say 2006. No. Lower. Lower as in further away? Yeah. It was longer ago than 2006. 93. Mm, sooner than that. It was not all the way that far back. 1999. So close. It was actually the year 2000 that the uh, Seton Hall Pirates made it to the Sweet 16. So now I've got a name in two guesses, a player that played for the Seton Hall Pirates in 2000. Yeah. This is going to seem like not as out of the blue in the second here. So, But good luck. Because I only know one name of one player on that team. I'm going to look up the rest of the roster in case you somehow name somebody else. Just for the fun of it, since can I relinquish one of my guesses for a hint? <laughs> since that's a thing. <laughs> no. Technically, no, there's two guesses. Yeah. Can yeah. do that. Um, I didn't prepare you any hints, so you're just going to have to like figure one out. All right. You're going to have to figure out a question that you want me to ask. All right. So you said this is not a hint question, but like you said you knew the best player on this team. Like you were like, oh, that guy. I did not know the best player on this team. I knew a player on this team. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, what year? I'm trying to figure out a way to tie it to the draft. Like, the guy drafted from that team. Like, Was there an NBA guy from that team, I guess, would be my question? Like, the draft the following year? Um, like, would I have known him see, from the draft? It's a terrible was game. one player who was drafted from that team in 2001. 2001. In the first round. Oh boy, Late that oh one, that oh that oh one draft was mm, that was a bad draft. Let's just be honest. That that draft was pretty terrible. This player would go on to spend fourteen years in the NBA. So. Really, I am so disappointed. Was never a superstar of any kind. Didn't really have any real accolades, but I'm so fourteen year player. I mean, that's an impact. So disappointed in my Seton Hall NBA player knowledge. Um, I'll be honest with you. I it, I am mad at myself that I didn't get Seton Hall. I literally saw they were from New Jersey today. I wanted to at least get it to 12-11. I should have seen that. You said this question. You told me before recording. I'm just going to ask this. You told me that this was something we talked. We talked about the tournament. Is that like the, oh, the St. Peter's connection? I'm. <sighs> okay. All right. Um, let's go with... It's mm, funny as I, I, I gave you the answer to this question during the podcast. You just don't know what it was. <laughs> the Seton Hall player? Yeah. <laughs> named him <laughs> throughout the, the course of the podcast. I named in, the NBA, in the NBA segment? You I know? named a Seton Hall player from this team um, at some point in this podcast. I'm not going to clarify any further. I just found it funny. So I'm gonna... Oh, boy. Um, yeah, your connection. Wow, holy. Um, all I'm thinking about is like those late 2010s Seton Hall teams that have been okay recently. That's the only thing that I can think of, and I'm trying to push that out of my memory for a moment. The Big East back then. Oh, dude, this is tough. I keep thinking of U UConn Huskies for some reason. Like I keep thinking about Seton Hall, and I, <laughs> UConn keeps coming to mind. I, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to lick my wounds only because of the fact I'm only down 12 to 10. So this is my tap out moment. I don't know. Tap out, not taking a shot. Yeah. Um. So the player that played 11 years in the NBA was oh, Samuel D'Alembert. Um, yeah, I wasn't getting that. Uh, no, I you weren't going to get that one. The one I was looking for and then I gave you was Shaheen Holloway, head coach of the St. Peter's Peacocks, who was the wow. starting point guard for the Seton Hall team, the last wow. New Jersey college to get to the Sweet 16, and now is head coach the next New Jersey college to reach the Sweet 16. And that was the full circle connection. 
I even gave him a shout out for like he's gonna get a job this year. Like I was like at I'm Seton super Hall. Proud of him. Yeah. Because the position at Seton Hall is now open, and the AD at Seton Hall was the AD at St. Peter's that hired him to be the head coach there. Oh, what did, did I? The second St. Peter's is out of the tournament. The next day, Shaquille Holloway is getting hired as Seton Hall head coach. Um, there have got this year. There's been guys that have been hired like before their game starts. Like they like they've been announced as the next hire. Like it's happened already. I haven't seen that yet. I've seen it multiple times, and I'm like, what in the world? Or like the moment yeah, happened, like, whatever. There was the guy from San Francisco left like the next day after they lost to Murray State. But. Oh, I guess that was before, after the loss. Huh? No, Seton Hall just hired Kevin Willard, so he's not getting the job. No, Kevin Willard was the Seton Hall. Oh, really? He left. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Maryland hired him. Sorry, I had that backwards. <laughs> That's um, why the Seton Hall job's open. <laughs> All right. Well, that was. Uh, I'd love to say that was a lot of fun, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you got too I'm close. Just, I can't give you layups anymore. Yeah, trivia rusty. No, it's okay. Trivia rusty. I should have look. I should have seen that story coming. It was a big deal. Yeah. Yada yada yada. Um, let I got me... I got a little close when I said when you said um, Shaheen always going to get a job, and I said at Signal. I was like, man, I'm getting real close to giving away the answer for this. So. All right, let me end with this. Uh, again, let's tie all this together. We just did college basketball. We just did the association. We talked about the draft coming up. Don't forget, in the bottom of this episode, your real homework is to read our draft rankings. Go and you know check them out. Uh, read them. Give us your thoughts. I'll just spoil something for you. We disagreed pretty heavily after four. <laughs> like, one, two, three, four. Chaos after mm. that. And it's, look... It was a lot of fun putting it together. Shout out to our website. Kind of how uh, everyone views the draft board, right? Which now. is great. This this is a good draft for this because it's a it's a really good easy read uh, paragraph or so on each of these guys. Our thoughts. It just gets them out of our head. You guys get to read them, and there are some really ridiculous NBA player comparisons on some uh, some of these guys. So can't wait for you guys to check those out. Uh, shout out to our website designer and editor for taking care of that, Mr. Jacob. Uh, at Two Pointers on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok is at The Two Pointers Podcast, and then Facebook.com slash The Two Pointers Podcast. Josh, that was fun. Glad to be doing a normal episode again, not a two-hour instantly tournament preview. Yeah, no, this was fun. Uh, it's been The Two Pointers Podcast. I'm Josh, and I hope to be back here next week talking about the Tar Heels' chances in the Final Four. So it goes well, that well. But uh, Good luck, my friend. I'm Trevor. We will see you guys next week. Thank you.